Their names were Wicket and Sunshine. They blindfolded us. They sat us down, crisscross applesauce. They had us hold hands with a person directly in front of us. And then Wicket began telling us a story. You are walking along a road. A beautiful landscape is before you. The air is crisp. Far in the distance, you see someone up ahead. You're not sure if you want to keep going. The distant person gets closer and closer. You, you kept on walking. And eventually, you recognize, yep, it's Jesus. What a surprise that he's there. He's inviting you to sit down. Sit down and have a chat with Jesus. What are you going to talk about? It's been 27 years. So I have no idea what Jesus and I talked about in that imagination exercise. But I know two things. I still remember the joy from that conversation, and I know that the idea for that exercise came from the story I want to read to you now. A story from the first Easter Sunday, about midway through the day. You can find it in Luke chapter 24, 13 through 27, immediately following what Kate read for us this morning. Follow along on the screen. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, what things? The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, oh, how foolish and slow of heart you are to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself 
in all the scriptures. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to you. Let's pray. Holy God, even in the very words of your scripture, it's all we need to know. It's all we need to hear. Thank you that you are moving in our midst to help us hear this old story fresh again. Open our eyes to what you would have us see this morning. Open our ears to what we should hear. Open our hearts to what we could do. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Cleopas and his buddy have been involved with the Jesus movement. For how long, we don't know. But it's late enough on Easter Sunday that the women who found the empty tomb have told the disciples and the rest about it. According to Cleopas' report, others have verified the empty tomb. And this is incredible, impossible, wonderful news. And it's all happening in Jerusalem. But where are these two men walking? Away from Jerusalem. Their expectations for Jesus of Nazareth as the one who would redeem Israel, a.k.a. overthrow the Romans, those expectations were dashed against the rock and cross of Calvary. And now the women have gone nuts, and those podunk fishermen followers are going crazy too. And it's time for these guys to walk away. They don't attempt to verify what they've heard or make sense of these events. They just go. And maybe I'm being too harsh, as if these men were going out to spread the good news in Emmaus about an empty tomb that they have no understanding of. But there in Luke 24, 10 and 11, which Kate read for us this morning, it was part of last week's text, one more time, now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them, the apostles and everyone else with them, an idle tale. And the apostles did not believe the women. When God does not meet our expectations, when the people of God do not do as we think they should do, when we hope for something that doesn't come to pass, when we can't make sense of what has happened, walking away is so easy. Sometimes we're just so tired and burnt out. It's time to walk away. Sometimes we don't even know we're wandering until the effort to show up feels like too much. During this pandemic, these fire seasons, these polarized times, a mental health crisis at every age level, there's been a lot of walking away from faith. And if it's not you, it's probably someone you know or in your house. It has not been easy. And this is not a guilt trip comment or sermon. It's an acknowledgement that life has been hard. We have not gathered as we could or should. We were not able to. And when we don't get together, things fade. 
Now, if you're worshiping here on this post-Easter Sunday, or you're on Facebook or YouTube, hi, you probably haven't been the one that has walked away. But you might be worried about someone who is carrying doubts, disappointments. They're wandering. You know, thankfully, that's not the end of our story. It's not the end of our loved one's story. It's not the end of our disciples' story because Jesus meets them on the road in their retreat just as he does with any of us. He's near and interested in them even when they don't know it, even when we don't know it. It was about 18 months before Wicket and Sunshine blindfolded me that one of my best friends, Dave Wilson, and I went to our first big concert. Ninth grade, October 1993, Blind Melon is opening for Lenny Kravitz at the Santa Barbara Bowl. I think we have, yeah, there it is. That's from the actual night because the Santa Barbara Bowl apparently archives photos from every concert it's ever had. Dave and I had been listening to Lenny Kravitz's latest album on repeat for months. This was uh, compact disc time, if you're keeping track of the musical interface. And Dave's older sister would drive us to school, which was awesome, and we would listen to Are You Gonna Go My Way on the Road to school every day. What I could not have known in those days was how much the repeated listening of that album was quietly influencing me. I wasn't a Christian. My family was not involved in a church community. But Jesus was near and interested, even when I didn't know, even as I had doubts, even when I wasn't looking for him. The first two tracks of that album, the big singles, are quite explicitly about Jesus. From the title track, some lyrics. I was born long ago. I'm the chosen. I'm the one. I've come to save the day, and I won't leave until I'm done. And the chorus, but what I really want to know is, are you going to go my way? Just like he did with me in this old song, Jesus leaves these two on the road with questions. Pretty much everything he says to these disciples is a question. What are you talking about? What things? Wasn't the Messiah supposed to suffer these things? Jesus teaches and lives by questions because questions often move people toward a decision or a commitment. If you've ever sat in a contentious committee meeting or a session meeting and someone calls the question, you know it's about to be decision time. Meeting these two disciples who are walking away, Jesus calls the question on them. He's blessing them with another chance to answer the question he's already asked. Who do people say that I am? Or from this album, are you gonna go my way? If you feel like you can answer or have answered those questions, great. I know most of the people in this room have. 
But it's not a one-time thing, right? It's an everyday thing to say, yes, I will walk in the way of Jesus, the Christ. It's an everyday thing because God only knows how foolish and slow of heart we are to trust all that's been said in our scriptures. And that's the other thing Jesus is quoted as saying to these disciples. You know, it takes a lifetime to learn it and live it. Our passage this morning, the last verse, concludes with this Jesus interpreting the entirety of the Hebrew scriptures for these two disciples. The last verse, verse 27, so dense. Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. A Bible nerd like myself longs to know what he taught along that walk. Because there are many different theological viewpoints that could take this verse, find that particular strain of theology in the Torah, and make a case for Jesus teaching their brand. Whatever version of the gospel you've heard could use this little verse for proof texting. And so it's taking me a lot of restraint to refrain from calling out the prophet's greatest hits on nonviolence, right? But we need to confine ourselves to this particular passage, where Jesus comes near and his disciples don't recognize him. Those familiar with the story of the road to Emmaus may have noticed that our reading this morning stops right in the middle of the story. Pastor Dave will finish it next week. And we broke it up into two parts so we could get a communion-type meal on a communion Sunday. Spoiler alert. But since this story is 2,000 years old, it's not a spoiler for me to say that at the end, the disciples' eyes are opened to Jesus in their midst. Now, when I was blindfolded by Wicket and Sunshine way back in the spring of 1995 and left to hold hands with a random peer, Jesus and I were having a happy conversation. In my imagination, sitting on a log beside a dirt road, the dew is shining off the grass. What an amazing thing that Jesus would sit down for a conversation with me. And then these student leaders told me to imagine that it had been Jesus we were holding hands with all this time. So I opened my eyes, and sitting before me was my new friend, Mark, just as fresh to this whole Christianity thing as I was. Our eyes were wide in wonder at each other. Seeing God in another person was new to me. It remains new to me. I hope it is always new to me. That doesn't mean it's always easy. You see, no matter how long our journey, whether it's the seven miles between Jerusalem and Emmaus or the 77 plus years of our lives, our eyes can still be kept from seeing Jesus in our midst. Unmet expectations, fear, misunderstanding, disbelief, exhaustion, comparison, envy, argument. So many things can distract us from recognizing the Christ who is raised in our siblings and in our neighbors. 
as followers of this Jesus, when we see him in another, our love for him grows, and our love for that person grows. We can't help it. The Spirit moves us. And when Jesus is present to us, it's harder for us to walk away. How foolish and slow of heart we are to, ignore, to avoid or ignore the questions that his life and death and resurrection pose to us, to fail to see him in every person we meet along our journey. Look around you for a moment. Yeah, I mean, we got a minute. We got time. Look around you. The risen Christ is in this place. He's interested in you, in your family, your friends, no matter where they've been, what they've done, or what they believe. Even if they're running away. He meets them on the road of their journey through you. Death couldn't hurt him, and the grave couldn't hold him, right? Jesus is alive, my friends. Let us trust it and live as if we see him in every person. Amen.